Sky King, Sky King, do not answer. Victor. Foxtrot. Authentication. Delta Golf. I say again. Sky King, Sky King, do not answer. This is Collapse Health. From London, England. A podcast about mysteries, the paranormal, and phenomena. You are listening to Anomaly. Here is your host, Glitters. Hello, this is Glitters in London. If you're a fan of paranormal podcasting, then you know who Howard is. If you're not, then you're in for a real treat. The Unexplained with Howard Hughes is an excellent podcast about the paranormal, the supernatural, and the unexplained. If you'd like to follow us, you can on Twitter at Anomaly Podcast. The email address is studio at anomaly.co.uk and we're on Facebook too. Feedback I've had so far about this podcast has been great and I'm very pleased. I know Steve is too. So sit down, make yourself comfortable and listen to the interview with Howard Hughes. We'll be back soon with another episode of Anomaly. Such a sad loss. Laura Brannigan and self-control. HCR 104 FM on a boxing night. And uh, our four-hour paranormal special. I should say paranormal and supernatural special, in fact. Uh, According to our paranormal investigator, that's uh, I've been told of. So it's all good. If you are a fan of the paranormal and the supernatural, then the chances are that you listen to a podcast called The Unexplained, presented by Howard Hughes. It's very good. And I'm going to play you a snippet of it now, followed by Howard Hughes himself. Across the UK, across continental North America, and around the world, on the internet, by webcast and by podcast, my name is Howard Hughes, and this is the return of the unexplained. Great words indeed. Howard Hughes, welcome to HCR 104FM. Glitters, thank you for that, and uh, happy Boxing Day. It's so weird to hear myself coming back like that. Um, you know, I, I normally record my podcasts, I put them out there, I maybe listen to them once, and then I let uh, the public decide to so hear the intro. So one of my shows coming back is, is a peculiar experience, I have to say. Sometimes you'll do an interview, and you will think it's gone swimmingly well. You'll think it's great. And you'll listen back to it again, and you'll think, oh, it wasn't all that good. And, and then sometimes you'll do an interview, and you'll think, oh, boy, that was a disappointment. I wasn't on form. The guest wasn't <laughs> very good. And you go back to it, and actually you find it uh, exceeds your expectations. So it's I'll, a I'll let you know after we finish. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> so for the listeners that we've got, Howard, who actually don't know who you are or have never listened to the podcast, who is Howard Hughes? Oh, God, um, how long have we got? I mean, I'm just... 20 minutes. Was, uh, all right, well, I'm just a guy who was um, born and brought up in Liverpool, um, discovered uh, television first, funnily enough. Uh, I just 
at the age of four, was transfixed by it all, and I wanted to be a television continuity announcer. Uh, that was my great aim. And I, I used to follow the ITV regions round uh, when my parents would take me on holiday, and I used to see that some regions actually did the continuity bit better than others. Mm. Um, I used to be a big fan of like uh, Thames Television in London, which I always thought was big and pizzazzy. Okay. And uh, there was a guy on there called David Hamilton who was doing announcing, and I wanted to be the new David Hamilton. <laughs> can you believe that? Well, I can. But, and uh, obviously many presenters on the radio came from a pirate background. Is that anything that you dabbled with when you were younger? Um, I did. Um, and uh, maybe you've, you've seen written in some places about me where people have written sort of biog pieces. But I mm. did do a very short spell um, on pirate radio in Dublin ah. uh, back in the 1980s. I worked on Radio Nova. Uh, which was a pirate radio station, but like nothing else that um, most people can imagine because it was a 50,000-watt uh, AM transmitter, and a huge FM transmitter. So the, even the FM transmitter used to reach from Dublin all the way into Wales and parts of England. Good uh, the AM yeah. transmitter used to cover most of Europe, certainly by night. So <laughs> it was a huge super pirate. Was was that the Chris Carey radio station? That was the Chris Carey uh, radio station. Your listeners might remember him uh, as Spangles Muldoon on Radio Luxembourg. Yes. <laughs> long time ago. And then he changed his name to his proper name, his real name, uh, Chris Carey. Uh, and Chris was a bit of a visionary, a bit of an entrepreneur, definitely a rule breaker, and there's nothing wrong with that. No. Uh, and founded a pirate radio station in Dublin, where uh, just because of the way things worked in the 80s, uh, the, the government didn't quite know how to react to people broadcasting illegally. So it took them years to get their act together. And that allowed a whole huge pirate sector to absolutely flourish there. And for a while, it was um, Anglo-Irish. There were lots of English guys working on there, like me. And there were lots of Irish guys working on there. And it was a truly Anglo-Irish thing and it was listened to i mean for example at one point they decided to target liverpool yeah uh, and they had a sales office for commercials in liverpool so every other ad would be a liverpool ad and then a dublin ad it was just the greatest thing and it was such a professional uh, slick sounding radio station it was modeled on american radio stations and for me apart from capital in london in the 90s uh, it was probably the best music radio station that I can I can remember. Certainly, I've worked for. Absolutely, and Capital is a station that you worked for yourself. Is that right? I did. I was there for ten years. I didn't intend to go there for any length of time. It was never really on my radar. I'd never heard Chris Tarrant. Didn't know anything about his radio show. And um, I mean, it's a kind of long story very short. I'd been on BBC Radio Berkshire, and had left Radio Berkshire to go back to commercial radio. Um, had worked on um, oh various things, uh, went back to IRN, Independent Radio News, for a while, worked on a thing uh, that came out of the building that you once worked in, I think, called Network News, did a bit of that, yeah. and also worked on forces broadcasting for our troops abroad, uh, British forces broadcasting, Very good. which mm. used to be based in a secret... Uh, in a secret office block in Paddington. You weren't allowed to tell people where it was. It isn't there anymore, so I can, I can mention it now. <laughs> okay. But one, I used to do overnight shifts. And there used to be a note in the studio saying, uh, it may be 3 o'clock in the morning to you, but don't forget in Hong Kong it's 1 p.m., uh, which was always very good. I did one of these overnight shifts of news reading on BFBS, and it was a freezing cold December day, and I was driving. I lived at the time in Bracknell, Berkshire, right. driving back to Bracknell. I was on the A40, and I was flipping up and down the dial, and I found the Chris Tarrant show. 
I thought, my God, this is good. Uh, wouldn't it be a great outlet for me to get a gig, say, reading the news on that show? Well, because fate is a strange thing, within 10 weeks I was actually doing it. Good, great. Now, isn't, isn't that weird? I just sent them a demo tape. Uh, I went in there on February the 1st, it was, spent half a day with them. My audition was to read the news through the afternoon. And they said to me at the end of the shift, would you like the job? I said, what job is that? Well, that's unheard of. I mean, uh, to get any radio gig that I've ever done has been through harassing people. And I never got anywhere with demo tapes or anything like that. But uh, but uh, still, I mean, to, to have that situation and to get the job as quickly as you did, that's brilliant. Um, well, yeah, amazing. I mean, I knew nothing about Tarrant. I knew nothing about the show. But I thought, OK, well, they're offering me a three-month gig here. Um, it'll be quite good regular income until I find something else. Ten years later, I was still there. Good grief. Well, no interview with Howard Hughes would be correct unless we work out some uh, disambiguation <laughs> between you and uh, another famous guy of the same name. Um, how do you deal with um, having the same name as uh, the well, the other Howard Hughes? Well, look, let's just talk very briefly about uh, the man himself. Howard Hughes, apart from being eccentric, and people remember him for putting tissue paper on the floor and the character portrayed by Leonardo DiCaprio in the film The Aviator. Uh, he was a strange man, but he was also a genius. He was a pioneer aviator. He was a pioneer filmmaker. He was an award-winning golf uh, professional player. Uh, he was pretty good at everything that he did. So to be named after somebody like that is, is, is actually not a, not a bad thing. The Americans think it's very funny. When I turn up at passport <laughs> control in America, they say... Hey, 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 look over here, Dave. We've got uh, Howard Hughes here. And uh, his friend Dave will come over and say, I don't believe that. Are you putting us on? See, I, really I told Howard? you he wasn't dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I don't get much of that here now because yeah, people tend not to remember. Uh, and I, I've always been rather proud of it. And the, the name, of course, rhymes with news. And I've mostly done, in my career, I've mostly done news journalism mm. and news reading. So, you know, Howard Hughes with the news, people don't forget it. No, absolutely. You spend most of your time now doing the news still, but you're, you, you still sort of dabble with being a DJ, is that right? Yeah, I do. I'm, I do uh, the odd bit of filling in uh, on the BBC, and uh, I do a Saturday show in Barger on the BBC, Saturday morning. Mm. Um, and I enjoy that because, you know, like you, I know my music, and I learned a few things over the years about you know, how to play records on the radio. It's not as easy as it, uh, as it sounds, and I'm no master at it. But it is one of the things that I can do, and I enjoy it. So I do a little bit of disc jockeying. But I wouldn't ever call myself a disc jockey. I don't think I am. But you, you, know, you, do, it, you, you do it for the fun like the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do it for, for the enjoyment. Uh, I mostly enjoy, these days, uh, even though I read the news still, the thing that I enjoy most is talking to interesting people. Absolutely. Your podcast, it's now, well, it's nearly 2016, and... That will be 10 years since the beginning of the podcast. Had you realised it had gone that quickly? <laughs> You've done your research, Curtis, yes. Um, literally, no, because I started... I'll tell you, I'll, let's wind it back to the start. Uh, the Unexplained was a concept that I devised for TalkSpot Radio. Right. Uh, when Kelvin McKenzie went the station, uh, he was quite favourably disposed to me. I got in touch with him, and he said, OK... Uh, we've got a Saturday slot available. What would you put on that Saturday slot? And I gave him a list of six things. And I said, the one, and he said, okay, I'll, I'll look at those. I said, Kelvin, the one that I like 
the most is the one that you will like the least. And that was the unexplained. He said, I love it. Uh, I won't tell you exactly what he said, because no. I couldn't repeat it on the radio. <laughs> but he said, get those people on. Let's put it that way. Get those people on the radio. So he allowed me to go away, devise the show, uh, pick the guests, and he knew that I would just deliver it on the Saturday night, which I did for 18 months. Mm -hmm. And then in the nature of things, the station changed emphasis of ownership. So George Galloway took over on my slot. And now, of course, the station is all sports. But when my show ended, uh, my listeners in their hundreds emailed me to say, please don't let your show die. We were listening all the time. And I still get emails from people now, new people who say, I first discovered you and your show when it was on TalkSport. So what I did, after having got all of those emails, um, I started to investigate whether it would be possible to put it on as a podcast, podcasting being quite a new thing then. Sure. Um, I, I didn't really know much about recording at home and stuff like that, uh, but I thought I could learn that quite easily. The internet side of it, I needed help for. Um, first of all, I found a young guy called Graham who helped me, and then uh, latterly in the last, what, seven, eight years, it's been Adam, Adam Cornwell, uh, who's looked after all that side of it. And uh, in the first, uh, I think it was first three weeks or so, I just put a little holding message on my website. I bought a domain name. Um, I'm not telling this story very well, but I was able to find the domain name, theunexplained.tv. And Fantastic. I bought that domain name quite cheaply. You would never believe that that would be available. I looked for theunexplained.com, .co.uk, .net, .biz, none of them available. But the one that was available to buy was the unexplained.tv. And I've always thought that was fate or something. It's got to I be fate. Buying it. It's got but to I be think, fate. You know, um... I think I paid 15 quid for it, that is. I think I paid for it originally. And, of course, now I own it. And I sure. bought years into the future of it. But... For that domain, of all the domains to be free, I, I still think is a, a little bizarre. And, uh, and it's been very kind to me. It's been very good to me. So I put a holding message on for, as I say, about three weeks, just saying this thing is coming here soon. If you're interested in all these things, please support me. And then I did the first show. Now, the first show was a mishmash of interviews that I'd done. It was several guests on the first show, including Uri Geller, who's been a big friend and supporter for years. Yes. I went to see Uri in the Thames Valley, and, uh, and we did a piece together. So that was the start of the show. It, I didn't have a theme tune or anything like, then, like that. Uh, but then at the end of the first show, a guy got in touch and said, I'm a musician, I'll make you a theme tune. So he did one mix of it, and I said, I don't quite think that's exactly right for this. I want a little ponderous bit at the beginning of the theme tune so that I can talk over it. Then I want a so-called post in the music where sure. it changes tempo and I can move on with, with what I'm doing in the show. And he produced for me a great theme tune, then later updated it. So I was very lucky then and gave me the rights to it so that I could use it for free. Uh, and he was just happy to have his work heard. So look, I've been very lucky with it. It's fabulous, and uh, I mean that that music has not changed. Well, virtually never changed since you started ten years ago. Um, now, when I was doing the research for the interview, I spoke on a couple of the forums. I went on the Belgab forum and also uh, a Facebook group, which was uh, launched in your name. Um, and people came back to me with questions. Um, so you're going to cringe, but I've got to ask them of you anyway. Um, so uh, one of the quest uh, questions are guests that have changed your mind on a subject a uh, bit of a curved ball god now that's a very very hard 
question to answer, really, right off the, off the bat like that. Quest, guests who have changed my mind on a subject. Um, well, I've had some... I can answer this by saying I've had some strange guests. Sure. Guests who haven't delivered for me what I expected them to deliver. And that goes for many of the guests that I've had. Uh, and that is in a positive way and a negative way. Uh, there was one guy I had... I mean, there are two shows that never aired. Let's put it this way. Yes. And they surprised me because they turned out to be not what I expected. Okay. And they did change my mind about those people. We won't name the names. No, of course. There was one guy who was a sort of New Age character in South America. And to cut a long story short, I couldn't be comfortable broadcasting that because he was, from what I could deduce, advocating the use of illegal substances. Okay. I really cannot put my name behind that. So that one, and he got very upset because I wanted to run an edited version of it. He said, I won't allow you to edit my words. So that one never read, and that was a big surprise to me because I thought he would be a good guest. Uh, another one was somebody who uh, believed the theory that you must have seen online over the years, that Paul McCartney died yes. and was replaced by somebody they call Fall, fake Paul, F-A-U-L, yeah. who looks a bit like him, sounds a bit like him, but isn't him. Uh, the idea being that Paul McCartney died in a car crash in 1966 and was replaced by somebody else. Um, I was expecting quite an intriguing show with somebody who'd researched this. Uh, you know, I wasn't going to buy into any of it. I was going to give this person a hard time. Sure. But it turned out to be a little beyond the pale, and I couldn't run that interview. So some shows surprise you from the point of view that they don't turn out to be what you expected. In other words, they don't turn out to be as good. Equally, there can be people who will massively exceed your expectations. And I think that goes for very many of the guests that I've had on. You know, uh, the, the most recent guest, for example, uh, Dr. Ronald Mallett, yes. uh, a professor of physics talking about time travel. I, I had a feeling he'd be good. I didn't quite realize before I did the show that he would be as good as as he turned out to be. I was very skeptical about it, as I am with many things. And uh, he turned out to be, as you would expect from a physics professor, incredibly knowledgeable, but also very personable and massively committed to time travel in a very, very credible way. So does that answer the question? It's got, I've got well, all it does. There, it, it does, because uh, <laughs> I, I believe that uh, professor has quoted you 20 years for getting his um, time travel method up and running, um, which, um, you know, it, 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 for a lot of people, they, uh, they dabble around with things and say, well, you know, it happens when it happens. But he, he seemed quite convinced that it was going to happen within 20 years. Yeah, and, and again, I'm, uh, that's very interesting that you picked that point out. Because I can remember sitting here, it was only, what, five days ago when I recorded the show, uh, and I remember thinking, I've got to ask him this question about a time scale, but I was certain that he was going to say it's impossible to predict. And he didn't. He was staggeringly specific. Absolutely. On the question of time travel, I just had a uh, question put under my face here. Um, th th there are various time travel photos going around on the internet, which I'm sure you must have seen, like the uh, time travel hipster. Uh, have you seen those, and what, what do you make of those? I've seen a lot of time travel, claimed time travel photographs uh, over the years. Of course, that whole series of photographs that were running around a few years ago uh, where there were people in 1910 or 1920 scenes with mobile phones. Uh, I don't think there's anything too conclusive or too exciting about any of them, really. I think, I think there is a lot of nonsense out there. I yet have to be convinced that there are genuine photographs of time travel. It's such um, a shame. 
Um, I, don't, I don't know. What do you think, Levis? Do you think that they're... I've seen them. I, I saw the uh, time travel hipster, um, and initially I thought, very good. And uh, I was convinced for a little while, but uh, then reality kicks back in, and, uh, <laughs> you know, the daylight comes out, and uh, you think, well, do you know, there's got to be a reason for it. And uh, I, I, I've never claimed to be a follower of fashion, and I never will be. Um, so when people point out, well, actually, you know, screen printing didn't come in until X year and things like that, then you have to take the experts at their, uh, at their face value, you know. You do. And as much as both of us would like it all to be true and those things to be genuine, you have to be healthily sceptical about all of these things. Um, for example, the, the case of John Teeter, which is all over the Internet, oh, the time traveller. It's a great here. story. Oh, fantastic story. And I really so wanted that to be absolutely bona fide and true. And I actually bought into the whole thing at the beginning. And the more you read online from people who've researched it and the anomalies within that story it seems pretty unlikely that this person came here, resided here for a period. Um, I mean, it's a lovely story. It's a, you know, they should make a movie out of it if, if they're not doing that already. Um, came here to find a component from an obsolete computer to take forward in time so they could fix something crucial because nobody in the future had that important computer knowledge. It had all been forgotten. Um, so he was coming back here essentially to save the world in his timeline. Sure. Great story. Um, sadly, I don't, I don't think there's much in the way of truth about it. You can probably tell that I'm not a starry-eyed believer. No, absolutely. And it, it, it doesn't pay to be that way either, because um, you know, if you said yes at everything that everybody told you, um, then you'd soon be shown up, and that's not something that you want to happen. On that time travel note, and you said there was possibly a film in the John Teter story, I think there could well be, and uh, I believe that uh, the family have sold the rights now. The um, I don't know if you had a chance to read the Stephen King book about uh, the chap who goes back to uh, try and stop the JFK assassination, and that's now been turned into a TV show, which is going to be shown next year. Um, an excellent book. I think it was called... Um, well, it was literally named after the date that uh, JFK was killed. Um, but uh, very good, very good. Um, have you had well, a chance to read that book? Time travel. Sorry, sorry, Gladys. The, the missing link about time travel, just to you know, kind of conclude that point, is that as Art Bell, who is my American ah. radio who does a show like this over there, uh, or did do, uh, used to say, if there is time travel... Where are the time travellers? Yeah, and that is that will always be the the great imponderable about time travel. If mm. indeed there is time travel, then there would be time travellers here, unless they're all sworn to some kind of code. And that was another <laughs> thing that uh, Professor Ron Mallett said that if we are to have time travel in the future, we will have to have an international regulatory body, just as we have for example nuclear power and that kind of thing, to make sure that protocols are not breached. You can't just have anybody going back in time or forward in time and changing everything. If you go back in time and uh, you know your father doesn't meet your mother, everything is thrown out of kilter. Absolutely, and you'd have to have a, a prime directive for contacting uh, people in the past. And that was one of my huge issues with, with the whole thing, that how can you regulate that? I mean, we're having enough trouble regulating nuclear weapons in this world. Sure. Could we honestly regulate time travel if it was possible to do if the technology became reasonably easy to deploy could we be absolutely sure that that wouldn't be misused i don't know because most things in this world that are invented for good are sometimes uh, used for bad misused. also and if, and if that is the case 
the consequences of that could be enormous. Of course. Uh, and it is something that we... And the, the great thing about uh, Ron Mallett, the professor, was that he's already got his head around those, those issues, those moral issues that have nothing to do with the science. They are questions of ethics and morality. Absolutely. You brought up, um, in one of your answers there, Art Bell. And, um, of course, uh, he, he's an idol to you, he's an idol to me, and uh, he recently stepped down from his uh, podcast and, of course, show that he was doing. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure we both feel incredibly sad about that. Um, one of the questions that uh, came up on the, the forum was, have you spoken to Art since he stood down? I haven't. Um, I've been in email contact with him since he stood down. Um, just to wish him a happy Christmas and him and his family. I mean, the circumstances of it uh, have yet to be fully revealed, but it was something to do with, and only in America can these things happen. Somebody mm. was taking pot shots at his home from which he broadcasts, and he made the decision, which I think a lot of us would make. Uh, I have a little daughter. I have a wife. I can't put these people at risk for my broadcasting, for what I do for a living. So he stepped down. Now, he's retired, as, as we both know, a number of times in sure. the past. I first heard him online in 1997. Uh, I think he's retired. Is this his fourth retirement? He has a tendency to come back. And, and, and that's so the thing, him, isn't it? Now, that, that's the thing that uh, makes me hope. I'd pray, in fact, that um, he turns around and says, well, actually, it's all dealt with now, I'm coming back. And, and as wonderful as Heather is as a stand-in, um, and it's been a fantastic opportunity for her to take over his show, um, the, the fans clamour for more Art Bell. And they always will. There is only one Art Bell. Um, he's not a great one for... When you talk to him, and I have talked to him, uh, for accepting praise easily, I don't think he, he feels comfortable, but I no. describe him as the gold standard. He is the gold standard for what we do. So the last thing I said to him in an email, and I'm sure he's uh, taken note of that from not just me, but from other people, I, I said, Art, I have a feeling that you will be back. Indeed. Uh, and I hope he is, because he sets the standard for the, for the rest of us. That's, that's the truth of it. You've been compared with Art Bell as the British <laughs> Art Bell. How do you feel about that? Um, it's very hard to take in when people do that, because I, I just don't connect myself with anybody of that sort of stature. I just think I'm a guy at home doing a podcast sure. and trying to do it as well as I can. Um, it's nice when people say those things, but you know, the media is a funny thing. Uh, sometimes people will praise you, as you know, they will praise you to the skies, but you're only as good as the last thing you did. So yeah. you've just got to put all of your effort into trying to be as good as you can be, I think. And that's why I hope tonight goes well. <laughs> so... It's going fine. You're doing well. You're doing well. Thank I'm you very much. i Eric Balkan, I don't know you're doing well. It's brilliant. <laughs> um, your father was um, a police officer in Liverpool where you're from originally. Um, did your father ever come across anything um, that was out of the ordinary? He did. Um, there, is, huh, there is a paranormal connection in my family in that his father uh, used to read the teacups in the, in the Great Depression, oh, right. which was something that a lot of people did in the terraced houses on the cobbled streets of Liverpool. Uh, it was often a woman's thing, but this was my father's father, who used to read teacups for people and tell them their future. That was apparently quite good, from what I hear. So my father had many experiences. So he was in the army before he was in the police. In the army, he was billeted in a house or a mansion in a place called Thorpe Lissoken. 
I now, know that, it well, I don't think, yes. Well, Thorpe Circus, not too far from you, I don't think. Um, and my father tells the story of how all of these soldiers were billeted there with their kit. And the kit was moved around during the night. And at one stage, he got up, went out of the room that he was in to go to the toilet, as one does, and looked at the end of a balcony and saw a girl who appeared to him and then just walked through a window and disappeared. And apparently a girl had committed suicide in that way there. Mm. And he swears that's true. The other one was in the police. I know there were a few in the police, but the best one was uh, he was on night duty. And uh, like the police are going back to using bikes these days where I live, he had a bike. Uh, He was patrolling near a graveyard. And this graveyard was locked overnight. And he saw an old man in a cap and an overcoat standing by a grave. And my father, because he's you know, a diligent policeman, gets off the bike and says, what are you doing there? Shines the torch over. And as he walks up to him, the guy disappears right in front of him. And as my father used to tell the story, he said, um, you couldn't see my backside. That's not the word my father used to use for steam because he was cycling so fast. So, yeah, my, father's, my father had a few experiences like that. Um, I haven't. I haven't had the ghostly experiences. I've had the coincidences. Um, I believe that I've seen a creature that may not be of this world uh, when I was 17 years of age. Uh, but I didn't have the experiences of ghosts that my father's had. Okay, well, that's a shame because that was going to be my next question. How did you knew? <laughs> so um, that, that really covered it. Um, favorite topics. <laughs> what, what, are, what are your favorite topics? Uh, I Look, I am always, I will be eternally in that mode of uh, time travel and space anything to do with time travel and space is sure. always going to interest me and the idea that perhaps we are not alone in this world or i have to say if we've been visited for so many decades uh, maybe so many hundreds of years um i would have thought they'd be a little more visible than perhaps they uh, they have been yes that's a fair thing to say um a couple of more questions sorry a couple more questions that we've had um a gentleman asking are you friends with richard c hoagland I am friends with Richard C. Hogan. Um, I've no. I've been listening to him because he was one of Art's stellar, literally, guests. Absolutely. 1997, 96, whatever. Uh, he's a great space scientist. Uh, he says that he was Walter Cronkite, the great American newscaster, science advisor, when Cronkite covered the moon landings. He is a remarkable character. So... Some years ago, at 2009, I think it was, or maybe 2008, I was working in Liverpool for a while, uh, doing a late-night talk show, filling in for somebody called Pete Price uh, on Radio City. Yes. And I was made aware of a a paranormal festival. What was it called? Ah, gee. Anyway, it doesn't matter, whatever it was called, uh, that was missing a guest in Liverpool. So I brought the organiser of the paranormal festival, uh, the Beyond Knowledge Conference it was, uh, together with Richard Hoagland, who I'd been interviewing and had known for some years. And one thing led to another. The organizers in Liverpool paid his airfare, and him and his partner, Robin, came over, and they stayed in Liverpool, and I had uh, lunch with them. Then they came down to London after they'd been in Liverpool, and I had to return to London. And I met them, had dinner with them, showed them around London, and um, got to know them better. So, yeah, I, I, I've known Richard Hoagland for, for some years. He is often derided by people in the orthodox <laughs> space community, as you know, 
a lot of people say this man uh, one quote that I have from somebody quite famous in space research was that this man makes stuff up uh, I don't know whether he makes stuff up or not I know it's very compelling stuff when he comes out with it uh, the, the face on Mars was the very beginning of it uh, Saturn, what's in the rings of Saturn, was the yeah. presentation that he gave in Liverpool, uh, which was a very cogent presentation. And he stood, the one thing I admired about him was that in Liverpool, he stood on a stage and he spoke without umming, ahhing, deviating in any way for about three hours continuously. And he wow. was as fresh at the end as he was at the beginning. Now, I can't do that, and I'm in the media. Absolutely, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> But, uh, well, it's good to hear. Howard, we've, we're really up against the clock tonight and uh, we've <laughs> run out of time. But uh, I'll take this opportunity to say thank you very much. Um, and uh, we, we really should let people know how to get hold of your podcast. So it's called The Unexplained. And, and how, right. how will people find it? Okay, well, the website is www.theunexplained.tv and everything that you need is there. It's The show's available on iTunes. It's uh, available to listen to from the site or download from the site. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a one-stop shop, basically. I want to develop it in the new year when funds allow sure. to have more content on it and more social media connection because I'm not doing much of that and I need to be doing more of it. But the one thing I'd like to say, guys, is that I'm very impressed that you had so many questions, and I'd like to thank all of those people who took time to ask things and, you know, hope I did my best in answering them. Well, I'm sure you have done uh, justice to that, actually. The questions came from the uh, Belgab website and also from uh, Facebook as well. So uh, thank you very much for answering well, them. Well, look, I, I just hope, and I know that you're up against the clock, um, you know, I think we can all hope those people from Belgab who are listening to this now we all have to hope that Art Bell will come back because he's the totally. linchpin of so much. I think a world without Art Bell is a pretty dull one. Uh, it would make my 2016 if he came back, I can tell you. True enough. Take care, Gladys. Howard, thank you very much. Merry Christmas to you, what's left of it. <laughs> thank you very much. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Take care, Bye. buddy. Bye-bye now. independent media. Comments and beliefs of guests do not necessarily reflect the views of those behind this podcast. Thank you to Dutch musician Michette for our great theme tune. Visit his site at michette.com or look for his work on SoundCloud. Please visit our website at anomaly.co.uk and email us through studio at anomaly.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at AnomalyCast. Watch out for the latest episode of Anomaly.